I think the one thing that I know now more than ever is that it's about people. You can talk all you want about process and systems and they're invaluable, but if you don't have the right people, boy. Hello, this is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with my friend, Chris Carlson, the founder and former visionary of Sportech, a leading design and manufacturing partner to some of the world's most respected vehicle OEMs. After successfully growing the business, building a world-class team, and ultimately selling the company, Chris founded Envision Company, a family-owned and operated firm that makes direct investments in privately held businesses. In his role as CEO, Chris is able to apply his 25 years of experience building great companies upon a foundation of core values, a strong culture, and consistently exceptional performance. He's also been able to invest time and energy in his various passions, spending time with his family, running the family race team, Carlson Moto, building a world-class racetrack and events venue, and spending time outdoors with friends, family, and team members. Chris, thanks for spending time with me today. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Start by telling me how you caught the entrepreneurial bug as a young man. The bug, yeah. You know, I think that I was very fortunate to be raised in an entrepreneurial uh, environment. My dad was kind of that crazy, wild-eyed entrepreneur. And one of the things he instilled in me from a very young age was you can do it better, you can do that, you can build it. And I think that's quite empowering for a young man, especially I remember in my teenage years and you know, we had a family business, just a small family fishing resort in Northern Minnesota. And we were constantly facing problems and challenges where things were breaking and things were going well. And, and he could always figure it out. And he said, you know, there's always an answer. There's always a solution. And it's interesting that today, you know, I look back on my career, that's basically what I've done is fix things, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a problem fixer. I, I think I owe that to my dad. Yeah, I hear that story a lot on this show is that you've just spent your whole life doing something you were passionate about or good at, and you woke up one day and somebody started calling you an entrepreneur and you realized yeah. that's that's what it was, right? So, yeah, right. It's great stuff. Was your dad the first person you noticed was leading something or were there other influences in your early life that you watched as you developed an appreciation for leadership? Yeah, I think my dad was was maybe one of the first, but I think I had a unique situation in that with this family resort again, we had people from all walks of life that were customers that stayed there and they were business owners and they came from all, all different areas and in different careers and different opportunities. And I learned a lot and I was an inquisitive little rascal. And I just <laughs> asked a lot of great questions about, you know, what is it you do and what do you make and how does that work? And, and I met some really good leaders and they, they actually helped us with the resort. Some of these guys were running big manufacturing companies and they would come to this little family resort and help us with process and how we were, you know, they taught me how to scoop minnows better, right. Or, you know, (laughs) optimize drilling holes for the fish houses, you know, so that uh, I think there were some good examples in some of the folks that I was exposed to. Mm. Do you remember any particular story or any individual in particular? 
You know, we had a guy that used to come to the resort that became a good friend. I really liked to fish and he was, he was a guy that owned a business and I, I probably met him. Oh, maybe when I was 13, 14 years old, built a relationship with him, spent some time fishing with him, met his family. And he really it was just super impressive guy kind of the way he carried himself and the way he always seemed to have a, a really cool group of people around him. He was definitely an influencer and a leader. And I tried to, I tried to learn as much as I could from him. Interestingly enough, when I was in college and still guiding and, and hanging around, I was spent some time with this gentleman in my junior year. He, uh, he offered me a job. Mm. And uh, I had known him since I was probably 12, 13 years old. And I wasn't crazy about working in the field that he was in and didn't know anything about his business. I had much higher aspirations. I was going to do something much bigger. But should I need some world to conquer? Right. But if I needed a backup, I would have that opportunity. And he said, well, you know, the the offer's there. And I ended up uh, going to work for him right out of college. It was a great experience for me as a young business person. I learned a lot. He had influenced me at, a, at an early age. Yeah. What are some of the things he was doing that you wanted to emulate? You know what? It's, it's amazing. I remember vividly that he was one of the best listeners I had ever met. And in fishing circles, that's not always common because <laughs> you know, we talk about fishing. <laughs> I caught more or bigger and talking about the, you know, the experience yeah. and the emotion and, uh, he was one that would just listen and smile and say, oh, that's great. That's awesome. And uh, he had a way of extracting information from people. He would get their spot and get their technique in the presentation. And I remember just marveling at how he was polite, but was a great listener and asked really good questions. Mm-hmm. And that, that influenced me. Um, he was a humble, pretty humble guy. Yeah. And uh, that goes a long way. That's great. Fast forward to the start of your Sportech adventure to walk us through mm-hmm. how that all happened. Yeah, so Sportech was founded with a single product idea and and back to my father who was the kind of the wild-eyed entrepreneur. He was a, a commercial designer by trade. He was a craftsman, worked with his hands and he was a he was a classic artist, right? So guy could paint pictures and paintings and and was very, you know, could do sculptures, but it was a commercial artist too. So there was not only wild creativity, but there was some viability to it too. There was some commercial viability. So we we had always had ideas and things we were working on. And, you know, he, he had an idea for a, the snowmobile headlight cover. It occurred while we were out riding snowmobiles at night one time. And there was a recessed headlight on these old Polaris's that we rode. And you would dive into a snowbank or go off the trail and the snow would pack in and you'd lose your headlight. So you're going at a high rate of speed and it just go black. And it was a problem. And, and people talked about it. It's like, man, you got to really watch it. So... He designed a little plastic, you know, we're standing on the side of the trail and said, what if we, what if we just made a little plastic piece that slid behind the windshield and popped in here? You wouldn't need fasteners or anything. I remember taking the the manual out of the back seat of the snowmobile, kind of sliding it in there and thinking, oh yeah. And that was it. That's, that's how it started. And we started as a home-based business with one product and then went to more and sold primarily just through aftermarket and then caught the attention of the the OEMs early on. And that's really what drove the growth is when we started to build those OEM relationships. Mm-hmm. And they saw that we had 
some level of uh, innovation that they desired to be a part of. And we built some trust early on and uh, that was kind of the way it all took off. Yeah. And you uh, exited the business in 2019, late 2019. Is that right? Fall of 2019. Yeah. yeah. So from your own home-based business, designing the initial product to how many employees? I think we were 425 yeah. roughly yeah, at the end. Yeah. And, and lots of different products to lots of different types of OEMs. Yes. Yeah, but best known for cabin closures for mm-hmm. off-road vehicles. So yeah. everything from side-by-side utility vehicles to forklifts to golf carts and anything in between if they needed a windshield and a roof and door systems. And they got quite complex at the end. These were automotive doors, basically, that had power windows and a lot of features. And they were going on these side-by-side utility vehicles that you know, our $30,000 machines. So they were, they were fairly complex, but started out very basic. And, and I think the innovation that really grew the business uh, in the beginning was there right to the last day. And that was really our lineator for us that separated us from our competitors is that uh, we were great manufacturers and, and, you know, we could participate in that space and be competitive. But the thing that really set us apart was the differentiator was that creativity, the ideas, yeah, the, um, that, and, the, and the problem solving. Except going back to the earliest days of sitting alongside your customers and solving problems yeah. with them, as opposed to providing them with a product they had already figured out they needed. Yeah, and that's ultimately what it is, right? Yeah. There's an issue, and that's what the customer does: is they they come to you and say, "Hey, we're having an issue with this. We need some help," and that's what we did. Yeah, and it was, and it's fun, and uh, uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, very good. much. Well, you and I have spent enough time over the years. I know you've had some highs and some lows, and I want to talk about a little of both of them. Take me to the first time you remember the spectacular success that you experienced as a leader of that business. What was it? What happened? What'd you learn? How'd you celebrate? Oh, I think the first moment that I really realized that this thing was going to take off was just one of the OEMs that we were working with early on, we came to them with a bunch of really good products. They took them out to their dealer network and did dealer some shows. And the response to these products that we designed for them with their brand, yeah, their, their logos on it, um, when, when they hit, the response was amazing. And when the orders started coming in, they called me into the office and they said, hey, we need to put in a significant order. And we were probably million in revenue at the time, right? <laughs> Maybe 800000 working out of my home and, you know, uh, beat up old forklifts in a pole shed. And I had another business and a full-time job. But this Vortex started. <laughs> so I had a little time in between jobs and went in there. And, they, and he slid across a purchase order that was... It was seven hundred thousand dollars for these, just these these recent products that we developed, and we had only you know done a million in revenue the prior year or less. And I remember thinking, first of all, oh, how am I making <laughs> make all those parts? That's a lot of plastic, and I don't think I have enough tooling. But then I just remember thinking, uh, that's pretty cool, and and it really had started to scale. And when you're working, you know, you have another job and another business and two little kids and diapers and, 
And all of a sudden, this one opportunity, it, it was evident to me this thing was going to take off. Yeah. And that's when I sold my other real small business and that helped fund our first building. And I quit my other job and, and my wife loved that. You, <laughs> you did what? Quit my job with all the benefits and a guaranteed paycheck. Yeah. So this other business, here we go, baby. And, but that was it. To sell so, snowmobile parts. <laughs> yeah. Snowmobile parts. But that was awesome. it. There's no question. That was the beginning. And it, you know what it does, what it did for me anyways was really gave me that confidence I needed to take the leap, right? There were a series of gigantic risks that I took in the coming months and years, you know, on commitments to equipment, commitments to people and hiring our first employees, commitments to facilities, mortgages, contracts with these major OEMs to supply them, you know? And, uh, but I think that was, that was the piece that really gave me the confidence. It's like, Hey, you know, this is going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's not like saying no to the $700,000 purchase order was an option. So sometimes not really feeling like you have a choice is the key to your first giant leap, right? Well, yeah. I don't think saying no would have been an option, but I think there would have been some that maybe would have had trouble delivering it on time or committing to the resources that it was going to take to get that done. You know, we were all in. And I think that was the reason that I got the next order, which was three times that large because it's like, they're saying, hey, so th- we're going to test this guy operating out of his pole barn <laughs> if he can fill an order like that within lead time. And we did. And then they gave us more and more and more opportunities. And that was that's really what it was right up to the final day. They were testing us. I never felt like there was a day that they weren't testing us, you know? Yeah, of course. So. Of course. And that's the juice, right? That's like being in a race. Right. You know, somebody's right. got to finish first and somebody's not going to finish first. So, yeah. What are the leadership skills you relied on and or wish you had in those early days that got you through or would have gotten you through with a few less bruises? Hmm. That's a great question. It's interesting for me to answer that today because I'm sitting in a business that we just purchased and this is day two. And it's a business that's much smaller than the one that I sold and not nearly as finished. It's a little messy. It's got some, so I'm back doing things today. I, I'm out walking the floor and I'm, I'm resolving issues that, you know, similar activities that I did 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think back to how I did it then and how I do it now. And I think there's some similarities, but I'm more patient. I think that, uh, as a younger man, there were times when I, you know, we all want to get things done and, and I'm impatient by nature. I, I told you that I once passed an elderly woman on a salad bar. I was so <laughs> she was picking away at the peas and the corn and the little cauliflower that I went around her to the peaches and salad dressing. So that's, that's how impatient I am. But I, I remember being impatient to the point where it made people uncomfortable and it was really not that productive. So I think I'm a little more patient today and I think I can accomplish more with just a little more patience and maybe maybe just a little more encouragement. I think the one thing that I know now more than ever is that it's about people. Yeah. You can talk all you want about process and systems and they're invaluable, but if you don't have the right people, boy, yeah. that's an EOS deal and it was invaluable. Once you get that leadership team in place, it sure makes life a lot easier. And that's where I'm at here now is we just don't have that yet. So I'm, I find myself when I discover there's an issue, I want to go find my CFO 
well, I'm going to talk to my CFO or I'm going to go to my VP of ops or I'm going to go to my VP of engineering. Well, guess what? They are here. So people are really, really important at all levels. And I'm, I'm much more cognitive of that and, and aware of that than just focusing on putting the right people in the right spot. Yeah. So for the, for the time being, you're in a place where you can't delegate because you don't have the right people and mission one as we've discussed, is to change that over time so you can rely on other people. Yeah. That's one of the observations I made about you and our journey together is that I thought you were as good or better a delegator than anybody I've ever seen. And you took real joy in watching people take on responsibility that was hard for you to give up and supporting their journey through both the success and the failure, which is the really hard part when somebody screws something up that's important to you. So how'd you learn to do that? I I would imagine there were some fits and starts along the way. I think that's one of the hardest things that leaders and business owners have to deal with because by nature, we're driven, we're type A's, we're impatient, and uh, we can do a lot. I think I was decent at a lot of things in business. So to your point, when I had to turn that responsibility over to someone, uh, it was tough, but I know that after I did it a couple of times, a couple of things occurred when I had the right people, they came in and killed it and did a better job than I was doing, which is awesome. And that's gratifying, but it kicks you a little bit too. It's yeah. like, Oh, that, you know, because we all have an ego and we can either admit it or we can deny it. That's but I mean, right. it's like, Oh, I thought I was pretty good at that. And it turns <laughs> out this guy's even better, but there's some great joy in saying, but I did put him in that position. So I recognize that. I mean, and that's powerful. And then there's tremendous joy. One of the, one of my favorite parts of business in, in leading is empowering people, you know, equipping them and empowering yeah. them and putting them in a role, coming around them, coming behind them to support them and then watching them succeed. I don't know that there's anything that makes me happy. It's like when your kids just really, really start to thrive and, and they get it at whatever age it is. You know, it's just as a parent, I don't know if there's anything more rewarding than to watch mm-hmm. watch your kid figure something out and then thrive. And um, it's similar in business. When you, when you get an opportunity to, to help someone, you develop someone, you encourage them, you empower them. And then when they, when they knock it out of the park, to me, that was, man, that was it. That was, that was about the coolest thing I had ever experienced. Well, and, and one of the things I wanted to touch on was the passion with which you started the leadership Academy in the, in sport tech and, and how hard you work to help other leaders, even outside of the business, your round table group and your group of entrepreneurial friends that that you help and support what where's the motivation for that and what what are the gifts you receive in return i think the gifts are the same whether it's uh, your own employees or your friends i really enjoy the peer group experience i'm in a ceo peer group i've been in one ever since i started my first business uh never not been in one some of my best friends on this earth have come from that experience, but far more than the friendships and the networking, it's the accountability that comes out of there. And then the, the resources that you get from these other, these other business owners and leaders. And to me, I, I enjoyed that tremendously because there was always someone I try to get in groups where you're not the biggest, and you're not the smallest. There's always someone in there who's been through what you're fighting through right now. Mm-hmm. And there's usually someone uh, that you're able to help um, who, you know, wants to uh, 
you know, benefit from experiences that you've had. And I, I really enjoy sharing that. It's super rewarding for me and really adds to that whole experience. So that to me, again, that's very similar. I guess that's the piece of leadership that's the most rewarding for me is to see people flourish and know that maybe I was a small part of it. And sometimes it's just an, it's just simple, right? It's just yeah. encouraging them. I, I had an employee that started with me when he was 16 years old. You know him very well. And he, he was a, he's one of the smartest young men I've ever met in my life, but he was a little short on confidence. And I had to encourage him, nudge him, beat him into position. I mean, I had to drag him kicking and screaming with each promotion. But when he got that, when he actually saw that he could do it, he, and he started to thrive, it was just an amazing experience for him, but also for me. And, and at the end it was easier, obviously, but yeah. he's top executive in the company now and uh, does very, very well, very, very successful. But I, every time I look at him, I remember all those different stages and, um, it wasn't real fun for him at the moment, but, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it sure watch him well two things about caleb and i'm going to use his name if you won't okay you're going to use i'm going to use his name number (laughs) one if he's not scared he's not living that's right right. and number two the more confident he got the more humble he became which is a really rare thing isn't that so it is amazing So let's play on this theme a little bit because you've seen as many leaders and managers and supervisors and company owners and racers succeed and fail as almost anybody I know. So I want to play a little word association game. When I say lousy leader, what are the characteristics or attributes that come to mind? Arrogance would be the first one. I think humility, if there's an absence of humility, it's nearly impossible to be an effective leader. Uh, Awareness, lack of, right? I think think the best leaders are keenly aware and that's personal awareness. So they're aware of themselves and the wake that they leave behind them and situational awareness. They can Mm -hmm. sit in a room, they can be in a group of their key leaders and understand who's struggling and who isn't. You may or may not have a little bit of this awareness I'm talking about when you're standing there with your orange and black pens and you pick up on in the room and say, wait a minute, I want to go deeper on that. A lot of times you're you're identifying an issue and and we dig and dig until we wrote it out. And that's what makes that whole experience with you so powerful. That's something that I, you know, I witness you do. I've, I've tried to work on that my whole life is try to be aware because people give you signals, right? And if you're not paying attention to that, it's hard to be a, hard to be a great leader. Well, and isn't it true that one of the things a lot of people are afraid to do is just ask when they suspect yeah. there might be an issue. I, I can't tell you how often when somebody says, well, how do I know when I'm offending yeah. someone else or being an yeah. arrogant jerk? You know, why don't you just ask? Just how ask. about a qualifying question? Is that over the top? Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying or is that too much? Or it's they as, don't... as simple as, hey, bud, why the look? It is yeah. <laughs> Did I just offend you? It wasn't intentional. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. I, I think we get in our own way sometimes. What else? Yeah, what What are the other things that you think can turn a team off or prevent people from being the best they can be as leaders? You know, I think just some really simple things that we you shouldn't even have to say this, but how about demeanor? I mean, if you're just generally unpleasant, I mean, if, <laughs> I mean you know, and it's funny, right? But I mean, how many, I mean, yeah. we all know leaders that just, you know what? Yeah. They're nasty. They're mean. They're not nice. They don't, yeah. they're really not any fun to be around. Yeah. People don't want to work for people like that. Yeah. The other thing too, is that 
regardless of your capabilities and your pedigree and your long list of degrees and whether or not you can do calculus with one arm tied behind your back, don't, don't talk about that. Don't make those that work for you or in any kind of a subservient role. They shouldn't feel bad about that. And I see leaders that love to pat themselves on the back or they love to talk about how much money they have or how big their house is. And you're trying to develop people and you're trying to earn their trust. I mean, it's just ridiculous to me. So yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. When you, well, there are, there are listeners and quite frankly, me, I work hard on all those things you just mentioned, some harder than Mm -hmm. others, because I want to get better every day. What are the tools you think leaders who want to get better can rely on to figure out that they've got these blind spots and, and improve? You know, to your point earlier, you have to ask questions. I mean, one of the things I do is I go to my trusted inner circle and these are, these are deep, you know, very good friends of mine that are leaders, that are business owners, that are people that I know and trust and respect. And I'll just call them and, and just say, Hey, am I missing something here? Because I'm hourly about this or here's, I have a situation. Here's my instincts. Am I, am I missing something? And, and once in a while they say, yeah, you're being a dink about it. And you maybe should re, you know, it's like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Well, wait, come on, you know better. Or sometimes they'll say, no, you have every right. Or you're, you're going down the right path. I think if any of us gets to the point, regardless of what our title is or how old we are, what we've accomplished, if we ever get to the point where we think we've got it figured out, and we don't need any help. We're in big trouble. Yeah. And I feel bad for people that aren't in peer groups or that don't have people, friends, resources they can lean on. They, you're not getting feedback yeah. and you're missing things. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing for a leader. Ask great questions, be aware and make sure that, man, just pay attention to what's going on around you. And if you're not sure, ask, ask for help and find those that are keenly aware in your organization. Don't ask, don't ask the suck up. That's going to tell you what you want to hear every time. Go to your friends that aren't afraid to pop you right in the chops once in a while, you know? Yeah. Tough love for sure. So from the start, family and business has been intertwined with you. Family fun, faith, and business has been intertwined with you. Talk about how you're able to blend all those components into a whole life when so many of your compatriots feel like they need to compartmentalize all that stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't really know what to attribute that to, probably just luck, but I've been a blender for a lot of years. I remember, you know, listening to people say, hey, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? You know, we've all heard it a thousand times. Could it be any more true? I mean, you genuine, I've asked you, you know, how many days do you sit in this room and do this? And it's a remarkable, but you love what you do. And the people that are the very best at what they do love it. And so I've been able to, I've been fortunate, blessed enough to be able to work in, in a field when I own Sportech, it's an industry that I just love. I love the outdoors. I love power sports. So that, that was a blend. And 
uh, but you know, we blended the racing component that tied in nicely with the business. We own the ERX, the racetrack, and that sport tech benefited greatly by being associated with that. Our customers love going out there. That was a blend. This new business I'm in, you know, we're in the boat business and I love being on the water. I am a boater. I'm a fisherman and I just love the product. And so I'm doing it again and I'm with my family, you know, and from a value standpoint, that's very important to me who I am. I have a set of core values that I use to guide me and in my life, I've used those exact same values in my businesses. I'm introducing them here now. And I talk openly about my faith, talk openly about who I am, how we live my life. And that's a blend, right? And it, it, it just happens to add to absolute clarity and, you know, it's, it's authentic. It's talking about who we are. I have friends that aren't as open and they don't care to talk about their faith as an example at work. And I, I never, never understood that because while I'm not going to impose my beliefs on anyone, I, I think that I owe it to them to share with them who I am and what I stand for. And, and it helps them to know how I'm going to respond when they understand who I am and my core values. I'm more predictable, right? I mean, I think they respond under different circumstances. So yeah, that, I think, I always try to blend family and faith and business and, and, and try to blend in industries that I love. And, and when I'm working on things I love, because I know the other side for me is if I'm doing something that I really don't like, I just suck. And I, I can't stand it. I get bored really fast, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. And for the record, I also suck at a lot of things I really like doing. So, yeah. so oh, yeah. well, you're, you're lucky in that, in that, in that regard. So, so I'm going to synthesize what you just said. And, and, and this is, a summer you can agree or disagree with, but you know, number one, be crystal clear on who you are and what's important to you. Yeah. Number two, be genuine with the people around you about those things rather than hiding them or compartmentalizing them because then it buys you the opportunity to just be you. Yeah. And also be aware that not everybody is like you and tolerate that they're their own individual as well and expect right. them to show up as the people they are. And you're going to spend a lot less time worrying about how people are going to take who you are at the core. So, yeah, that's a beautiful job. Yeah. yeah. And, and specifically the predictability piece. I mean, I have great respect for people um, who have completely different views than I do on some big things in life. I mean, you know, spiritually or politically, and I really find it refreshing when we can have respectful conversations mm -hmm. and understand where we each are coming from. And then know that that's, that that's yeah. where they stand. And, yeah. and then we just work. We just move on. And many times you let me know that you respected my completely wrong opinion. So that worked yeah, I, great. Our relationship well, has worked great. I feel like you were wrong a lot. <laughs> I just, you know, I touche. Yeah. Touche. Yeah, no, I think you and I are a great example. Yeah. I value our friendship, but I know we don't stand exactly toe to toe on a no. few issues, but I, it's not an issue. That's, I mean, it's just like, that's fine. I, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Well, for the record, I love collecting people with different perspectives. The last thing I want to do is have a group of friends who agrees with me on everything yeah. that sounds awful yeah you know so yeah you're right and that you know what that's a, that's a big deal i couldn't agree with you more in fact i sometimes you know in the last year you know i got to a point where everyone i know completely agreed with me on certain topics uh, politically as an example i had to call some of my friends that i knew had a different <laughs> say hey uh, straighten me out on this yeah. because i 
I, mean, I don't I, understand. I'm in you a know, bubble here. Are. I can feel the plastic walls. I am in a bubble. Yeah, I got to pop the bubble. Help me. I'm with you. You know, they love doing it. It's like, yeah, you are so wrong. I'm with you. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I enjoy that. All right. So tell us a little bit about this next chapter with Envision Company. You you formed this organization after uh, selling Sport Tech and you're, well, why don't you say it in your own words? What's Envision Company all about? What was the motivation for for starting this next chapter? So Envision Company was created after the sale of Sport Tech. And Envision is a family office that serves as a holding company. We have a couple small businesses in there now, our family race team. Carlson Moto and, and ERX, the racetrack. But our goal was to create this office and then to acquire businesses in the outdoor space, right? So consumer products, outdoor arena, focusing primarily on marine, hunting, fishing, and then related industries. So areas, again, the blend, right? The blending areas that I love, areas that I'm passionate, areas that I have some level of expertise and my family, you know, we're in, we're in this together. I brought a few team members with from sport tech to form the, the family office. We've got some financial folks. We've got some HR folks, we've got some biz dev folks and facilities people. And we've been searching for, mm, over you know, a year and a half, basically, and have looked at a number of businesses. And we just uh, closed on our first deal last Friday. And uh, yesterday was the first day. We met with all the employees. And we're on the ground here today uh, doing battle. So yeah. the business is uh, Premier Marine. They are a uh, manufacturer of uh, high-end luxury pontoons located here in Minnesota. And they've been around about 30 years. And it's a great brand, a great legacy. And we're very, very excited about coming in and maybe applying some of the manufacturing techniques and approaches we've learned through the years at sport tech and some of the uh, leadership things that we've learned the hard way and, and bring in some great people and equip them for success. So there, it's a great brand that has great reputation and uh, they've had kind of a bumpy stretch here and we're just trying to come in and, and that's, that's all we're doing now is going back to reverting back to where we were 15, 20 years ago at yeah. sport tech and team building and process and systems. And it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. I'll be watching carefully. I know it's going to be a fun ride with a couple of bumps and I know you're going to finish first in the end. So good luck. Well, we hope so. I might have to call you a couple of times and scream and holler and you might have to talk me off the ledge, but uh, we'll get there. All right. Here's my last question and then we'll close and, and let you go. If you were patting a young leader on the back who's just trying to get better every day or grabbing him or her by the ears and giving them a piece of wisdom that they really need because they just screwed something up. What's the most impactful thing you could say? I think it's just that you have to pick yourself up and keep moving. I think that a lot of young leaders want to be perfect. We all do. They want to try to get through a business career and, and never make a mistake. And there's a saying that I'll probably butcher, but success is determined by our interpretation of and response to failure. So the most successful leaders I know are those that have gone through the valleys, have crashed, have had problems. I mean, I sat in your office many times, like we got a problem here. I mean, and I think the ability to get through it, put it behind you and move on. A business advisor I had at one time, said to me and we came to him and it was this catastrophic problem and where he's sitting with my team and 
uh, I'm describing this and the world's going to come to an end. He says, well, it's tragic, Chris, but I don't think we can afford to dwell on it much longer. So let's <laughs> move on. And I mean, at the time, I thought that's maybe the most insensitive thing I've ever yeah. heard in my life, yeah. but I use it all the time now. So I, when I see a young leader that has uh, struggled or they're struggling or they failed and I try to help them make sure that they see that for what it is. It's yeah. a mistake. It's something that happened and we have to move on. Yeah. We can't dwell on it and nor do we ever want to let that define who you are. So that's it. We're not going to go any further. Yeah. Are you going to resolve this? Are you going to, you going to beat it into oblivion and move on to the next thing? And that's right. every time we go through that, as you know, all us old guys know, you get stronger, that's you get right. better. If you look at it, correctly if you see it for what it is it's like well yeah this is yeah. what happened and by the way here's how i screwed it up yeah write it down document it don't do it again or avoid it if it, at all costs and then move on i couldn't agree more really good stuff the change and reflection caused by the big failures in my life always 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 have led me to a new level of clarity understanding capability humility yeah I would be nothing without those failures. And so you learn to be more grateful for them than the falling backwards out of a boat and hitting water successes that you've had, so. Right, and you know, it's it's business, it's marriage, it's yeah. parenting, right? It's not just any one aspect, it's all aspects of our lives. So that what that returns us to, what we first talked about is humility, right? It's that attribute of the best leaders I know because for you to be able to look back on a, on a tough situation, see your role in it and be able to say, yeah, I really, I, here's what I did. I screwed up. I, I should have done this. I made a mistake. You have to be able to say that if you, if you refuse, if you're either unable or unwilling to take ownership for your screw up, you will never get any better. Yeah. And I see people say, oh yeah, we got through that and we're much better now. And, but they never, they never really yeah. see it for what it is. Yeah, it's like, well, if you're not looking at every failure as an opportunity to personally get better because you're so busy trying to figure out who screwed you over or who really yeah. caused the failure, you're never going right. to grow. Never going to yeah. grow. Couldn't agree and more. And it's pretty common. You know, yeah. and so yeah. these are not super difficult things we're talking about. It's just really simple, straightforward. Yeah. Well, know, simple doesn't always mean easy. I'm right. a living testament to that fact. So. <laughs> Chris, this has been awesome. I could talk to you for another hour, but for the listener and for the two of us, I'm going to I'm gonna call the question here. So for the listener who wants to learn more about you and the cool stuff you're doing, is there one place they can go online to find out more? Oh, I think pontoons.com is the website here at Premier Envision Company. Dot com is our Envision family office website. And I think we do a pretty good job of telling the story. And then the premiere story is just beginning. You know, yeah. We're just really looking forward to that fresh start and kind of implementing a lot of the things we've been talking about here. Just uh, uh, it's it, like I said, it's it's not going to maybe move at the speed that I would like, but uh, we'll get there. Well, well yeah. uh, let's just hope it's not an old lady at the salad bar. Yeah, right on. Yeah. <laughs> and if she, oh, I'm going to pass her. Oh, that's, that's exactly right. All right. This is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast signing off after another great episode. Thank you all for being here. Hope today's episode makes you the best leader you can be. If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Share the episode with a friend. If you know someone who would benefit from the conversation I had today, make sure to share it with them.